Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of Neisseria gonorrhea from the microbiology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 19-year-old male college student presents to the clinic complaining of a burning sensation with urination as well as purulent urethral discharge. He admits to rarely using condoms during sexual intercourse and does not recall the last time he was tested for sexually transmitted infections. Urinalysis is positive for leukocyte esterase and a gram stain shows intracellular diplococci within polymorphonuclear neutrophils. This is a case of Neisseria gonorrhea. Let's now get into the episode. In terms of an introduction and classification of Neisseria, they are gram-negative diplococci and often intracellular within neutrophils. With respect to the epidemiology and incidence, it is the second most common bacterial sexually transmitted infection after chlamydia. With respect to the location, it occurs in the genital tract. The main risk factor is unprotected sexual intercourse. Let's now discuss the pathogenesis and mechanism. In terms of the molecular biology, the pili facilitate attachment to the mucosal surfaces. It involves antigenic variation, and IgA protease allows invasion of the mucosal surfaces. It contains lipooligosaccharides, or LOS, with strong endotoxin activity. The invasion of mucosal surfaces results in inflammation. Transmission is via sexual and perinatal. Associated conditions include septic arthritis, neonatal conjunctivitis, pelvic inflammatory disease, and Fitzhugh-Curtis syndrome. The neonatal conjunctivitis would occur two to five days after birth. Prophylaxis of this is with erythromycin eye drops. Let's now discuss the clinical presentation and symptoms of Neisseria gonorrhea. Symptoms include dysuria, purulent discharge, fever, prostatitis in men, endocervicitis in women, and urethritis. Let's now discuss diagnostic studies including lab studies and histology used to diagnose Neisseria gonorrhea. Labs would involve cervical and urethral culture. This would be on Thayer Martin agar. It selects for growth of Neisseria and contains vancomycin, trimethoprim, colistin, and nystatin to inhibit the growth of gram-positive organisms, gram-negative organisms except for Neisseria, along with fungi. Another lab study that can be used to diagnose Neisseria gonorrhea is nucleic acid amplification testing, or NAT. Histology would involve gram stain of a cervical swab and would show gram-negative kidney-shaped diplococci. In terms of a differential diagnosis, chlamydia, urinary tract infection, and genital herpes simplex are the three main differentials. The distinguishing factor for chlamydia is visualization of intracytoplasmic inclusions, namely reticulate bodies, on histology. The distinguishing factor for urinary tract infection would involve lack of growth on Thayer Martin agar. And the distinguishing factor for genital herpes simplex is painful vesicles and ulcers. Let's now discuss the treatment of Neisseria gonorrhea. Medical treatment involves intramuscular ceftriaxone and add azithromycin or doxycycline for possible concomitant chlamydial infection. Finally, let's discuss the complications of Neisseria gonorrhea. 
the two main complications to note are pelvic inflammatory disease, or PID, and Fitzhugh-Curtis syndrome. Pelvic inflammatory disease may include salpingitis, endometriitis, hydrosalpinx, and tubo-ovarian abscess. Note that PID is a risk factor for ectopic pregnancy, infertility, chronic pelvic pain, and adhesions. Fitzhugh-Curtis syndrome involves perihepatitis, which involves infection and inflammation of the liver capsule. It also involves adhesions of the peritoneum to the liver. Let's now briefly compare Neisseria gonorrhea to Neisseria meningitidis. We'll discuss various different characteristics comparing Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria meningitidis. The appearance of Neisseria gonorrhea is kidney bean-shaped diplococci. The appearance of Neisseria meningitidis is also kidney bean-shaped diplococci. With respect to the oxidase test, Neisseria gonorrhea would yield a positive test, while Neisseria meningitidis would yield a negative test. In terms of polysaccharide capsule, Neisseria gonorrhea does not have a polysaccharide capsule, while Neisseria meningitidis does have a polysaccharide capsule. With respect to fermentation, Neisseria gonorrhea ferments glucose, and this can be remembered by remembering gonococci starts with a G, and Neisseria meningitidis ferments maltose and glucose, and this can be remembered by the fact that the word meningococci has the letters M and G in it. In terms of transmission, Neisseria gonorrhea is transmitted sexually, and the transmission of Neisseria meningitidis is respiratory transmission. With respect to vaccine, Neisseria gonorrhea has no vaccine due to the rapid antigenic variation, while Neisseria meningitidis does have a vaccine. With respect to beta-lactamase production, it is common in Neisseria gonorrhea, while it is rare in Neisseria meningitidis. And finally, in terms of IgA protease production, Neisseria gonorrhea does produce IgA protease, and Neisseria meningitidis also does produce IgA protease. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question, a 24-year-old G1P0 mother with no prenatal screening arrives to the hospital in labor and has an uneventful delivery. The infant is full term and has no significant findings on physical exam. Shortly after birth, an ophthalmic ointment is applied to the newborn in order to provide prophylaxis against infection. Which of the following is the most common mechanism of resistance to the ointment applied to this newborn? 1. Penicillinase in bacteria cleaves the beta-lactam ring. 2. Alteration of amino acid cell wall. 3. Increased efflux out of the bacterial cells with plasmid-encoded transport pumps. 4. Mutation in DNA polymerase, or 5. Methylation of 23S rRNA binding site. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 5. Methylation of 23S rRNA binding site. The patient in this vignette was most likely given erythromycin ointment as prophylaxis against gonococcal conjunctivitis. Bacterial resistance to erythromycin is most commonly accomplished through methylation of the 23S rRNA binding site. 
Remember, the first step in this question is to recognize what routine care steps are provided to neonates to prevent serious disorders. One such step is to apply erythromycin ointment to the neonate's eyes to prevent neonatal gonococcal ophthalmia. Ocular prophylaxis is safe and has been shown to reduce the risk of contracting gonococcal conjunctivitis and is recommended by both the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. It is the only approved agent available in the United States for prophylaxis of gonococcal ophthalmia. The next step is to recognize that erythromycin is a macrolide which inhibits protein synthesis by blocking translocation by binding to the 23S rRNA of the 50S ribosomal subunit. Therefore, the mechanism of resistance to erythromycin is through methylation of the 23S rRNA binding site. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1 is incorrect because penicillinase is a mechanism of resistance against beta-lactam antibiotics such as ampicillin, which is not effective for gonococcal ophthalmia. Answer choice 2 is incorrect because alteration of amino acid cell walls is a mechanism of resistance against vancomycin, which is not used in this context. Answer choice 3 is incorrect because bacteria use plasmid-encoded transport pumps to gain resistance against tetracyclines, which are not used in this context. And finally, answer choice 4 is incorrect because mutations in DNA polymerase are viral mechanisms of resistance against gancyclovir, which would be effective against CMV, but not against gonococcal ophthalmia. In summary, bacteria develop resistance to erythromycin through methylation of the 23S rRNA binding site. Next question. A 26-year-old male presents to his primary care physician with complaints of burning with urination, penile discharge, and intermittent fevers. A urethral smear shows gram-negative diplococci within white blood cells. The organism grows well when cultured on Thayer Martin agar. The patient is prescribed a course of ceftriaxone and the infection resolves without further complication. One year later, the patient returns with the same infection. Which of the following best explains this lack of lasting immunity? 1. Exotoxin release 2. Antigenic variation 3. Polysaccharide capsule 4. Bruton's A-gamma-globulinemia or 5. Lack of necessary vaccination. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 2. Antigenic variation. This patient suffered a Neisseria gonorrhea reinfection. Neisseria gonorrhea can reinfect hosts by modifying their outer membrane protein pili through antigenic variation. Remember, with antigenic variation, the antibodies generated to the bacteria during an infection do not confer lasting immunity to a reinfection with the same organism. Pili are protein polymers that play a role in bacterial adhesion to surfaces and thereby increase virulence. However, the pili are also antigens that stimulate a host immune response. Changing these surface proteins through gene conversion, DNA inversion, mutation, or recombination allows for the bacteria to escape identification by the host's previously acquired immune response. Let's now review two citations related to this topic. In the first citation, Mayer et al. discussed the diagnosis and management of gonococcal infections. 
one 250 milligram intramuscular injection of ceftriaxone is the first-line treatment for all uncomplicated gonorrhea infections. Azithromycin or doxycycline should be added to the ceftriaxone in order to address possible co-infection with chlamydia trachomatis. Given the high rate of reinfection with Neisseria gonorrhea, patients should be retested three to six months after the initial infection. In the second citation, Chris et al. described the mechanism of Neisseria gonorrhea pili antigenic variation. The organism's antigenic variation system mediates DNA recombination from silent gene copies into the pili expression locus. The authors report 0.13 recombination events per cell and a rate of pili antigenic variation of 0.004 events per cell per generation. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1 is incorrect because Neisseria gonorrhea does not produce exotoxins. Answer choice 3 is incorrect because unlike Neisseria meningitidis, Neisseria gonorrhea does not have a polysaccharide capsule. Answer choice 4 is incorrect because A-gamma globulinemia is characterized by globally decreased immunoglobulin levels resulting in recurrent infections. This condition would have presented before 26 years of age in this patient. And finally, answer choice 5 is incorrect because given the antigenic variation that occurs on the surface protein pili of Neisseria gonorrhea, vaccines are not effective and therefore do not exist. And that's all for this review about Neisseria gonorrhea. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.